0: I once fell into a urinal. <laughs> so, that's where I lost half the audience. I once <laughs> fell into a urinal. I was, I was 13 at the time. Um, I was slightly more athletic and fit than the fine round shape that you see before you now. Round is a shape, I'm in shape. Um, We've just finished the gymnastics, um, the gymnastics component of PE. And like I've been doing gymnastics at school, like primary school, because I like. I was round, so I was really good at doing the roly-polies and stuff like that. So, up until, like, that, that actually suited me really well for primary school gymnastics. I could forwards roll and I could backwards roll like a madman, because it just naturally happened. All I had to do was try and sit on my back. Anyway, they taught us how to do flips, which was really cool. Like a, a, and I learned how to do, um, like, a backwards flip over, over the pole. You know how, like, you lifted yourself up? I could lift myself up back then. It was awesome. And, you could, and I taught myself how to do a forward flip over the pole. And I taught myself how to do a backwards flip over the pole. And at the age of 13, I was at the peak of my physical fitness. That was it. I picked at 13. So afterwards, I wanted to show my friends. And, um, and we went to this, um, we went into the, like, where we were. There was the toilets and there were the showers. And because I was 13, we didn't shower. Because, like, who, bits? Like, you, you don't want to see your boy bits. Anyway, forget it. Okay. And so what happened? Welcome to the visual people. They were the people going, <laughs> So what happened is I wanted to show off in front of my friends, and so I decided I was going to do a backwards flip um, over this pole, and so the shower was just right here. And it was, it was really cool. All of my friends were there, my closest friends group, which is cool. And um, so what I did was I started with, like, a I had a pole above me, and I grabbed the pole, and I did, like, this 90-degree angle thing, and then I basically put my legs up, like, straight up, and then just sort of threw myself like, did kind of that sort of movement, which is not okay. Alright, and so what happened is I flipped back over the pole, over the shower, and I landed weird. And unfortunately, because I landed weird, rather than doing the nice, I was one of those guys that like just over-rotated, and so I started off like this, and I went. And the urinal was just right here. (laughs) Not only was the urinal just right there, just as I started this flip. the only person that hadn't seen it was my friend Richard. We'll call him Richard because that was his name. And um, he'd just finished um, doing what you do at the end of PE class when you don't shower. You you go to the toilet. Like, it's okay for boys to go to the toilet together, but you're not allowed to shower together because boys are like that. And anyway, he'd just peed right there. And so here's me doing my backing dance. And yeah, you guessed it straight into the urinal. Now, I don't mean I, I stood on the step. I mean pee went down here, and because of the way that I landed, if this was the urinal here, this was my leg, and I'm leaning against the wall. No, not the wall. The stainless steel But where my friend Richard had just peed. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your experience was as a 13-year-old boy. Um, at least half the people in the room haven't had that experience come to think of it. But my friends were there, all the air goes out of the room, and in my head I'm going, this is it, this is, this is the moment that I'm going to become P-Boy. <laughs> I'm going to become P-Boy for the rest of my time at school, this is, this is absolutely it. Anyway, there's silence, I'm like, oh man, this is bad. Like they're formulating the best response to this. And anyway, I distinctly remember... Four or five friends, like it was literally like Half my class were um, My closest friends group um, They picked me up out of this Europe. Um They like um, I distinctly remember one of the boys Literally trying to squeeze the wheeze <laughs> Out of my shorts Which is a little bit of a weird thing For, to, for a 13 year old boy to be doing To another 13 year old Get away from my bottom please Um so they squeezed as much as they could They put me under the dryer for a bit They used two cans of Lynx Which um, back in those days There were only four options To this day I cannot use Lynx Africa Because it reminds me of urinals This is a true story um, They never laughed They never mentioned it to, uh, uh, They never mentioned it again Never mentioned it at my 21st Never mentioned it at my wedding Never mentioned it at any other birthday And to this day I'm the only person that's ever told that story. I'm sure there's other people because I've told it to a whole of youth. So they're like, guess what Mr. Thompson did. (laughs) But um, the story could have been a source of embarrassment. It could have been the moment where my life was over. And actually instead, it was the beginning of realizing that the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you, you let speak into your life, the people that are there on your worst day, are actually, you, you know, my senior pastor once said, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And that was the moment that I realized I needed to surround myself with really good people. Mm-hmm. And God gave me really good people to surround myself with, and those boys were part of that story. Yeah. Why do I tell you that story? Well, if you're a visual person, you were literally there. You've seen, you saw me lying in the thing. If you're not a visual person, like for five minutes now, you've been listening really closely to my voice. You know, um, people have been saved off that story before. People have listened to that story and listened to the goodness of God in my life. And as a result of that, they've literally gone, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have friends like that. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to have a friend like Jesus. Do you know it's been used to set people free? Do you know that it's been used to give people a new perspective? Hey, you might have tried something and failed, but you haven't been lying in a urinal of it that your friend's pee on you failed. <laughs> Stories are powerful. Stories are so, so powerful. Your story is powerful. So that's one story. That's, I wish that was the most embarrassing story that I could tell you. It's really not. <laughs> um, but there's things that happen in your life and stories that, are, that have happened to you. They're actually really, really powerful. Like um, people can be engaged with stories. People can um, uh, listen to stories. They can learn stuff from stories. So I don't know whether you know it or not, but you guys are storytellers. However, there's a narrative. So... A narrative that's happening in your life. Now, all a narrative is, is the story of that happens chronologically. So there's a narrative that's happening in your life. There's a story that you are currently living at a rate of one second per second. One hour per hour, one day per day. It's the story of your life. Now, you might think that you've lived the most incredible story. You might think that you're halfway through the curious case of Benjamin Butter. You might think that you've had... The worst story ever. Like it's a tragedy that's um, going to make Romeo and Juliet look like a love story. Oh wait. Romeo and Juliet is a love story. <laughs> it's going like, to make the tragedies look like comedies. But I'm here to tell you that your story's not finished yet. Yes. If you're here today, if you're listening to my voice, your story isn't finished. You're a storyteller and you actually have agency in your story. Sorry. Agency means that you have at least some control over what happens to you, or at least you have some control over how you respond to what happens to you. So, I've got a clip that Tui's going to play, and then I'm going to preach. Stories from all around us, they shape the world we know. stories tear down walls, connect strangers, and give hope. We are storytellers. Cool. uh, Can you guys hear me still? Tell me you've you've turned off my mic. Oh, never mind. There we go. All right. Stories are powerful, and you guys are storytellers. Stories are vivid. They have meaning. They can take people other places, they carry weight. So this is the main idea that I want you to get out of today. If you want the tweetable 100, 250 cal- uh, calories characters, 250 characters, this is what it is. Your story is powerful. Your testimony is powerful. It's the story of Jesus weaving. Uh, the story of Jesus weaving in with the story of your own life. And it's irrefutable. That means that your story, it's really difficult to tell someone what happens, and then they go, no, it didn't, because they weren't there. Unless they're there, it's irrefutable. So you have this story. See, in the Bible, the story of Jesus was told four times by four different people. You've got the gospel according to Matthew. You've got the gospel according to Mark. You've got the gospel according to Luke. You've got the gospel according to John. And that's actually not including all the other references to Jesus in the Bible. It's so not to mention the prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah who talked about this is what the nature of the Messiah is going to be. It does include all the other historical accounts that didn't quite make the final cut into the Bible. There's other gospels that are available that aren't actually in the Bible. They just didn't make the, um, the level that made it was, had the divine authority of God. But it was still, it's still a historical account. You've got these four different perspectives from four men who love Jesus fiercely. The focus in each story was different. The audience for each story was different. So, for example, um, for example, Matthew was told from the point of view that a Jewish person would be reading the Bible. Uh, Luke was told from the point of view that um, a doctor was reading the Bible. Luke is literally only, um, uh, Luke is literally only aimed towards one particular person. John was the story of Jesus told from the point of view that it was going to be the Gentiles that were going to read it. Like, the, the Gospel of John is literally against the law. It's explaining, it's explaining how Jesus and how Messiah works to people who aren't Jewish. Like, it's literally, uh, 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 um, at the time, it was literally a um, forbidden text. And the thing is, is back in those days, the the stories, it was written down. But how were they actually shared? It was actually shared through oral retelling. Hey, this is what I remember. This This is what I can recall. This is what I can recount. So the audience was different. The method was different. So different things were focused on. But the message and the heart was similar. There was a Savior that loved us so much that he died for us. Not only did he die for us, he rose again. Um, There's a story that in every gospel, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So heaven has come close to us. Um, In every story, there's this idea of the Messiah, the rescuer, the one that made a way where there was no way. So this is my question for you today then. What would your gospel have in it? What would your gospel have in it? What would your story have in it? If we've got these four people, this is who Jesus was according to these four people. The gospel according to you. What's your gospel? If you're talking about Jesus in your life, who is this Jesus to you? See, the thing is, is that your gospel is today, it's relevant, it's relevant to people who are living today. And so in the same way that these books that were written 2,000 years ago can still give meaning to us, your gospel, the story that you tell about Jesus is actually just as powerful. In fact, for a lot of people that have never read the Bible, it's probably more powerful. This is who Jesus is to me. So what would your gospel have in it? What would your perspective be? See, if you don't really know Jesus, the details around Jesus could be a little bit sketchy, but you at least know. Jesus could be this person that people, um, when, when... um, my folks dragged me along to church. When my friend dragged me along to church, Jesus was the guy that got banged on about at the front of the the front of the stage. That that could be your entire story. Um, for a lot of our young people, our youth, um, when we asked about Jesus, Jesus was the guy who was burnt on the cross. Um, so they're mixing the story of Jesus and the history of the KKK. So um, fortunately, in youth group, we've fixed that now. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Who's your audience? See, the story of Jesus, according to you, is actually there to reach a specific people group. I can't wander into a woman's ministry and talk about who Jesus is to me because, A, for a start, I wouldn't particularly accurately or appropriately be able to describe who Jesus is to me from the point of view of a 38-year-old woman because I'm not one. Even as a, uh, someone who speaks in front of youth a lot, it's really difficult for me to talk about who Jesus is to me from the point of view of a young person because I've been an old person for longer than I've been a young person now. <laughs> I'm not even sure what a teenager was like, and I certainly don't know what being a teenager is like today. Like, I've got an idea, but I'm not living through it. Yeah. What, would method, uh, what would your method of telling your story be for some of us? It might be written. For some of us, it might be via blog. For some of us, it might be um, Facebook. I don't know. Why am I asking these random questions? Well, I believe that as Christians, we've been given this mandate. Mandate is just, we've been given this job, this thing that we're supposed to do. And this is what I believe the mandate to be. It's in Romans 1, five. It says, through Christ. So it's not by ourselves. Through Christ. God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles. Apostle basically means someone that goes into new areas and spreads the, 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 the good news. To tell Gentiles. Gentiles is just basically anyone who's not a Jew. So if you don't have the long hair and you don't have the cap on, you're a Gentile, okay? Gentile is everyone who's not a practicing Jew. Which I think for Cromwell means basically everyone everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Um, I found this quote by a lady named Jandy Nelson, who's an author that I've never read, so um, I just really like the quote. And this is what she says about our life. This is our story to tell. You'd think for all the reading I do, I would have thought about this before, but I haven't. I've never once thought about the interpretive. Interpretive um, just means how we interpret events. The storytelling aspect of my life, of life, of my life. I always felt like that I was in a story, yes, but not like I was the author of it, or like I had any say in its telling whatsoever. See, the thing is, is the way that you tell your story is your gospel. How God works in your life, your telling affects everyone who comes into contact with it. Your story is powerful. Yeah, How God works in your life is powerful, and it's worth telling other people. We'll take it one step, one step back. Have you ever been to a movie that's changed your life? Have you ever been to a movie that's changed your life? could be anything from Barbie um, to, uh, I don't know, um, I don't know, Star Wars. Star Wars, I distinctly remember Star Wars being an, um, an emotional experience for me. Have you ever read a book that's changed your life? Have you ever read a poem that's changed your life? Yeah. See, for Shannon, I can actually tell you which, which movie changes, changed Shannon's life because, like, when stuff's going bad, this is the movie that she, um, she goes to. You're okay. Um, it's Barbie. No, it's <laughs> not. It's actually called the Secret, of, uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's the story of this person who spent his whole life actually helping the dream of someone else come to pass. And so he spends a lot of his life in his head. He sort of has daydreams about what he'd like to do. No, I don't know why Shannon finds this relevant. <laughs> Although I, I do catch her daydreaming quite often. Um, but eventually what happens with Walter Mitty is he actually goes out and begins to... He, he loses this one sort of like this one negative that's actually really important to the guy that he's been helping for like 20 years and so eventually he has to actually go out and live these adventures for real and the adventure that he lives in real life is actually more incredible than these stories that he's trying to make up inside his head anyway and every time um, Shannon watches it she cries and I cry too so it's okay Um, and every time she watches it by the end of it she's like oh man I want to do this and I want to do that you know, and so she watches that. For me, um, I'm I'm slightly I'm slightly nerdier. So for me, it was the third Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> I remember going to the third Lord of the Rings movie. I think it was it was Christmas Eve. I think there were three people in there. I remember um, I remember people stand. Uh, so I was I was twenty odd at the time, I think. Um, I remember thinking, "Oh my goodness, these people are standing up for what they believe in, regardless of the odds." Which was actually, um, which was actually like mind blowing for me because I was one of those people that would sort of like weigh up the odds and go, "No, it's not going to go this way, so I'll go for this person." Do you know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd go the path of the path, the safest path. I'd you know follow the victor kind of thing. And I remember um, walking out of the movie, and um, the, uh, walking out of the movie afterwards, where you see all of these people who are willing to sacrifice for the greater good, and like it actually really affected me. It's like, oh my goodness, like sacrifice that that results in not necessarily for your best benefit is actually a good thing. It's like, oh my goodness, like if you pull your life into something and it's worth it, you count the cost and you do it anyway. It's it's actually it was actually world changing for me. It's like, oh my goodness, and so now that's. Thanks to the third Lord of the Rings movie, which most people consider the weakest of the three, um, I'm now able to, anytime time I go up against something where it's like, oh my goodness, I've only got this much energy left, and, but this is the thing that's ahead of me. Is it worth it, God? And I count the cost, and I go, yeah, no, it's, it's worth it. And that's how I live my life. Um, my kids know that I, I, I feel um, deeply about movies. Um, um, is Asha here? Asha, how, how often do I cry during movies? Um, 20. No comment? No comment, yeah. To get in so I, I cry during sad movies all the time. The only issue is, is that I cry during happy movies as well. Um, the movie that I avoid is actually Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings will make me cry <laughs> like a baby. And do you want to know what the worst thing is? It's because of the egg. The egg's okay. It's okay, people. Kiss the lucky egg. Anyway. <laughs> Why would I say that? Well, the thing is, is that we've we've all had these experiences, yeah? And so if that's the case, if a fictional story can change your perspective, the way you see your world, why would you place a lower priority on those stories of change in your own world? So if a fictional story can change your world, how much greater are those stories that are real? How much greater are those stories that are true? How much greater are those stories that have literally changed your life, changed your world? I was like this, then this happened, this is how I am now. Man, what a powerful testimony, what a powerful story. I think sometimes we belittle our own story to the detriment of ourselves and others. Like um, um, in, in Kiwi culture and um, quite a few other cultures and stuff, Like you're not supposed to talk yourself up. But the thing is, is if it's not about you, if, it's, if you're telling your story to glorify God, then it's not about you anyway. You're not talking yourself up. What you're doing is you're talking up the goodness of God in your life. So this is the deal. Mark 6, verse 14 to 18, it's the the message version. Go into the world. Go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. So go wherever you can and say wherever you can to anyone who will listen. Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. These signs will follow believers, they will throw out demons in my name, they will speak in new tongues, they will take snakes in their hands, they will drink poison and not be hurt, they will lay hands on the sick and make them well. So when you declare the goodness and the power of God in your life, one of the things that follows on is that there's actually an ability to access and demonstrate the power of God. So if you say, um, if, you, if, you, if you say something about, oh, so anyone who is a follower of Jesus is called and commissioned to go, every, uh, to go and tell everyone everywhere the good news of God. To personally share with people God, uh, to personally share with people God puts in our paths and what he's done for us. People want to hear your story. They want to hear your history. They want to hear where you're from and where you're going. They want to hear where you're at right now. See, the thing is, is the gospel is good news that brings freedom and joy to all who receive it. Now, you can't receive something that's not given. So you have to be able to tell your story to give people the chance to receive the good news. And to those who proclaim it, that God has done good things for us and we are glad, it says in Psalm 126. And then in Psalm 107, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There's such great power in our testimony. It's a part of our overcoming the enemy. Sometimes we make it too complicated in our minds. A testimony basically comes down to simply being a witness to God's faithfulness. This is it. I had a problem. I gave it to Jesus. Look at what he did. I had a problem. I gave it to Jesus. Look at what he did. A testimony of our life. I had all these problems. Jesus met me. Look at what he did. It's a powerful testimony. People can argue with your philosophy, they can argue with your theology, they can argue with your um, thoughts, but they can't argue with your testimony. John t- chapter 9, I love John chapter 9 because it's um, it's, it's like classic, it's like classic um, Pharisees type stuff. So John chapter 9 tells one story of, the blind man, of a blind man that was born blind, who was healed by Jesus. And so what happens is Jesus comes across this guy that was born blind, he heals them, then there's two chapters of people arguing. (laughs) Born blind, Jesus heals him. two chapters of people arguing, like it's hilarious. They're They're arguing about whether or not the man's a sinner and whether he deserves healing. They're arguing about whether Jesus is a sinner for healing him on a day that he wasn't supposed to heal him and healing him in the name of God. Does he even have the authority to do that, which makes him a sinner? You know, And then they spent like a chapter going, how could this be? How is it even possible that this is happening? Like two chapters, three sentences, the guy was blind, healed, not blind anymore. This is the blind man's response. The blind man says, I don't know about all of that. So everyone's arguing. Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? Can he heal? Can he not heal? Is he a sinner? Is he not a sinner? Is the blind man worthy of receiving healing? This is the blind man's testimony. I don't know about all of that. Disregards the argument. I don't know about all of that. I was blind, but now I see. What a great testimony. How good is that? If we will simply tell someone about what Jesus has done for us, if we will comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received, Someone's going through a bad time, and you've been through a bad time. Man, I've been through a really bad time, but Jesus met me there, and now this is how I am. I'm still working through it. Or, yeah, it doesn't matter if you have an and suddenly story or an and gradually story. Man, and suddenly Jesus arrived, and my life was completely changed. Or, I invited Jesus into my life, and this stuff is still happening in my life, but Jesus is here with me through the good times and through the bad times, through the, the hills and through the valleys. Both are powerful, powerful testimonies. We would be stunned at how the Lord can use our simple words of faith and of truth. So, what are you waiting for? Here's my main idea again. Your story is powerful. Your testimony is powerful. It's the story of Jesus weaving in with your own life. And it's irrefutable. So the ancient meaning, we're not going to do a Greek word study or anything like that. It's just something that I found kind of interesting. It's one sentence and then we'll move on. If you're a linguist, like I I studied linguistics at school, we or not school, at university, we can go into the Greek word study if you really want. But we're not going to. This is it. The ancient meaning of the word testimony in its root actually means do it again. It means repeat it. The power of testimony lies in the fact that it depicts the nature of God. When we give a testimony of healing... What we're doing is we're painting a picture of the fact that he is our healer. When we give a testimony of healing, we depict the fact that he's our healer. From a testimony regarding a headache cured to a cancer being healed. Also a testimony about receiving the much needed hundred bucks or making a million dollars. Both of those say that he is our provider. See, Revelations 12. We're in Revelations now. Revelation 12 says that believers overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So your testimony is powerful. Blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony. First there's a declaration of what God's done in your life and then you have access to the demonstration of God's power. So if you give a testimony of healing, guess what, guess what a good thing to follow up with. Hey, do you need anything healed in your life? Because I was healed in this situation and as a result of that I believe that I can pray for you. See, it's actually a no-lose situation. It's a no-lose situation. Why is that? Well, what what are people thinking? So someone that has never experienced healing in their life, and you say, man, Jesus healed me, and I think he could heal you too. Pray for them. One of two things are going to happen. Either nothing, which is probably what people expected anyway, or they're going to be healed. Either way, they're comforted by the fact that you've shared your testimony and you love them enough to pray for them. How good is that? Man, if you've got someone that's in a a mess, man, I I don't know how to answer that mess. All I know is I was in this mess once and Jesus pulled me out of it. Is it okay if I pray with you? Man, what a powerful testimony. Chains get broken in that environment. Um, I once saw this guy, Bill Johnson, uh, from Bethel Church. Um, He went to this conference, um, Manifest Presence. It's like one of the few um, conferences that that he goes to in New Zealand. And... um, what he talks about is he talks about testimony is opening the door to miracles. Testimony opens the door to miracles. And so one of the things that happens at Bethel and one of the things that they really, um, they really believe is that before they, get, they can pray for people for healing, but the first thing that they'll do is they'll actually get people up and talk about other people who have been healed. And um, he describes it as opening the door to belief. So it's not the fact that God doesn't want to heal people. In fact, um, in the Gospels even in the places of least faith. Um, so Mark six, oh, Mark 4, Mark 4, Mark 6, it's one of those two. Um, Jesus goes back to his hometown, yeah? And he, and, he, and he preaches a blinder of a sermon. And as a result of that, the people go, man, aren't you just that guy from um, Nazareth? Like, isn't this your brother there? Weren't you a carpenter for a while? And Jesus said, man, ye have little faith. And he was only able to heal the sick. It's like, oh, wow. That's pretty cool actually But the thing is is that When we begin to share our story Faith begins to rise For people that don't have faith Hope begins to rise So for people in a hopeless situation If you share your testimony of faith Then hope rises up in them Oh man there could be a way It could be possible That's hope Our testimony is a fighting tool It's a mighty weapon In this war We don't fight against flesh and blood But powers and principalities See as we learn about God's nature to us We learn to trust him in everything And boldly know that he who did it before Will do it again Um, Patrick uh, Rothfuss um, He's one of my favourite authors He's not a Christian dude He just had this quote that I've, I've always really liked It's like everyone tells a story about themselves Inside their own head Always, all the time And that story makes you who you are We build ourselves out of that story so if that's the case, what stories are you telling in your life? What are you focusing on in your life? What, what takes the forefront of your mind? What are you playing on that movie screen that's the inside of your mind? What happens when you close your eyes at night? What stories are you telling? What, what's the focus? Are you focusing on the problem? Or are you focusing on the solution? I believe that this is a solution for any problem. I believe that the name of Jesus can overcome anything else that's going on in your world. Nothing is higher than the name of Jesus. Like, I don't know whether it's a cold or it's a cough or it's cancer. I believe Jesus heals people. I believe that Jesus can go into any situation and can overcome that situation. I believe that with every fiber of my being. So what's the focus, the problem or the solution? Who does it glorify? Who's the hero, the main character? If you're worried about trying to talk yourself up, that's okay. Just don't make yourself the hero of the story. If you've got a time where Jesus has come and taken you out of a situation, guess who the hero is? You're the princess. (laughs) You're in the tower. (laughs) So, again, I ask you, what's the gospel according to you? If you've never really shared that story out loud to anyone, might I suggest, hey, how about you start? Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? people who are non-Christian look to us and wonder who Jesus is to us who, who is Jesus to us I thought um just to finish off um what I might do is I might just give like a really quick like three minute version of my testimony because um the really interesting thing is is preparing this like one of the um one of the things that keep coming through um, when I was praying about it and just preparing for it is that there's people in the room who have a fear of rejection. There's a people in this room who have a fear of missing out. There are people in this room um, that have a fear that they're on the outside looking in. And the thing is, is that that's part of my testimony. This is, this is who I was. And so I want to I share a wee piece of that because I believe that there's people here that are going to respond to it. Um Here's my three-minute testimony. I I grew up in a small town called Matara. My mum and dad were freezing workers. Um, You'd think that that would be enough to sort of think that we're the lowest of the low, but we were actually also the dog and cat people. Um, So we had 20 dogs. uh, Sorry. We said we had 20 dogs. We actually had 30 dogs. We said we had uh, 40 cats. We actually had 45. Um, So we were the dog and the cat people. Um, They didn't all live inside, so it's okay. Um, they, we owned a boarding kennels in and a cattery, and it was basically like a petting zoo. But inside my house, it actually looked a bit like um, I find it really difficult to watch the hoarder programs um, because I, I, I noticed some similarities between what happens inside those places and, and, and the place that I grew up in. And so it actually made it really hard to invite people into my house um, because even in my room, um, what was acceptable, like as long as there was no food scraps on the ground. Um, like, I could keep my room, however. So, I was a mess. Like, you know, I had way too much stuff and not enough space to put in that because that, you know, my parents thought if they, if they bought me all kinds of stuff, that would be a way of showing love. And, like, I did feel valued, I did feel loved. Generosity is one of the things that I admired most about my parents, but I ended up with all this stuff in my room, yeah? And so, growing up, I had this fear of rejection, so I had this fear of letting people win, And um, the issue was, was because I was a bit different, and because um, I was a geek, and uh, like quite a hard, like it was quite a hard town. Like there was sort of two people that either end up being freezing workers or they end up joining the mob. Like that was the, that was the two options. And so I was sort of like a soft geeky book reader. And so growing up, I sort of felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um. I fell into the comparison trap So I'd always compare myself to other people What other people had um, How cool they were, the friendships that they had And I'd, I'd be jealous of that I um, it actually got to the age where I was 15 And I, I felt like that kid um, And you see it in the movie sometimes Where, you know, there's the kid The orphan boy that's on the outside of the window And you're looking in on the, this really amazing Cool family And like the, the, the boy's at the window And sort of blowing stuff out It's like, Eah! But it was like that for my friends, it was like that for my family, it was like that for everything. I felt like I was isolated and I felt like I was alone. The thing is, um, in that time, because I wanted people to like me, I'd act different ways around different people, so to the rugby heads and try and talk about rugby, to the um, the Christian kids, I'd try and talk Christian, even though I come from a non-Christian family, so I didn't know it was okay to swear and talk about the Bible at the same time. Like But I felt like I was on the outside. I had all these different sort of like fragmented personalities. I wanted people to like me so much that I was willing to change who I was to try and be, try and please people. And then when they didn't like me, I, I felt rejected. So I ended up going to this camp. It was called Faith Festival, and Jesus met me there. What I mean by that is that I was standing there in worship, and there was this guy talking about who Jesus was, and I felt this overwhelming sense of love, this overwhelming sense of um, acceptance. Like I did the ugly cry. Like have you ever had one of those moments, like snot going down, like tears? Like it was. I'd actually gone there to chase a girl. Uh, me, me, and my best friend, we both went to chase the same girl, not realising that it could potentially cause conflict in our relationship. <laughs> And that, that weekend, I found Jesus and lost the girl. And that weekend, he lost the girl and decided not to follow Jesus. And one of the things that, after that fact, I realized that Jesus loved me and he accepted me how I was. That he created me for a purpose and on purpose. And I began to realize that it was actually okay to be different. He called me to be different because, because I'd have a different message, because I'd come at stuff from a different angle. Um, I was like the under-the-radar People didn't have defences against my story because I don't sound Christian, <laughs> and so um, I ended up at school. Ended up being called Father Ray, um, which which sounds like a, it sounds like it's it's a it's a hassle, but it wasn't. Um, basically, what would happen is people would come to me um, with like all kinds of stuff. Like I was the person that they'd um, have a yarn to. Um, I was the person um, like. <laughs> There's cr- these crazy situations over these couple of years where I was never I was never suicidal. I was never, like, I, there was a point in my life where I felt despair. Like, I was like, man, no one likes me. As a result of that, Jesus was able to use that that idea that I, w- I was willing to connect with anyone and be friends with anyone over the course of, um, between um, when I was 15 and 17. Um, I Actually, um, Jesus put me in a place where it legitimately, um, actually, Like, talked people out of suicide, like, multiple times. Now, I'm not studied in that, I'm not well, I am trained in it now. Um, But what would happen is people just share their story, and then they'd share the ugly parts of their story, and then we were able to get them help. And that was, and that's part of my story. And what what I realized is that Jesus loved me and accepted me for exactly who I was me, the dog boy, the freezing worker boy. I realize that Jesus never leaves me, that he never forsakes me. And that means that even in the really good times, and I've had some great times in my life, even in the really bad times, and I've had some absolute shockers. I, I lost both my parents within six months of each other um, for really random things. Um, and like to the point that um, when my mum passed away, um, the, um, the people could still remember from my dad, they, they were sending them home because they were so upset about the fact that, like us, my, myself and my sister were in this situation where we were losing both our parents and they were being affected by that. But even in that time, in that hardest time, the, two, the first two funerals that I did were my mum's funeral and my dad's funeral. Um, so I'm pretty good at funerals now. Um, but even in and amongst all that, even in those darkest times, Jesus, love, I know 100% for sure that Jesus loves me. I know 100% for sure that no matter what I go through, um, he'll be there with me. I know no matter what I do, that he'll accept me, that he will be with me. Now, until the end of my days, whenever that is. And at that time, where I, you know, gets to the end of my life, which is hopefully many, 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 many years from now. I know that he's going to meet me And he's going to meet me with arms open Now if that's true for me The dog boy from Matara Then that's true for you as well So if you're feeling on the outside today If you're feeling, um, if you're feeling rejected If you've got that whole idea of, of that fear of missing out If you're sitting here today going Man my life is flashing before my eyes And I don't know what to do about it I'm here to tell you that you're here For a purpose and on purpose That you have a saviour that loves you so much That wants to be a part of your life that's my five-minute testimony. Now, what we do, it's pretty easy. Man, if there's anyone here that's heard that story and they want to actually say yes to Jesus today, man, we're going to pray a prayer in just a minute. And um, I'd, I'd love for you to pray with me. The coolest thing that i found and the thing that I, I realized is that um, when you invite Jesus into your heart, you actually end up with a whole heap of brothers and sisters and like spiritual mums and dads and all of that stuff. Like, it's It's ridiculous. Ever since that time where I accepted Jesus into my life, I was never alone again, both spiritually, like Jesus was always with me, but at the same time, there was this whole new family that I had that loved me, that accepted me, that uh, enjoyed my inappropriate jokes, that, that, um, that did all of that stuff. So if that's you today, if you're feeling on the other, if you're feeling like you're rejected, let's just bow our heads for a second. The only reason I bow our heads is just say so no one's looking around. Um, But if that's you, if you want me to pray for you today, just um, to invite Jesus into your life. Now, um, I'll warn you, when you invite Jesus into your life, there's one of two things happens. For some of us, there's an and suddenly happens. So you walk in one way and you go out feeling different. Um, For other people, there's an and gradually that happens. Basically what it means is that you start off um, feeling slightly different and then before you know it, you're in a completely different place. One of those two things can happen today. But if that's you, I'm just going to count to three. And if you want to put your hand up, that would be so great. And we'll um, pray a prayer with you. So one, two, three. Awesome. I see that hand. That's awesome. That's very cool. Just looking around. We'll just one more chance. It's okay. If you've heard my story today and it's like, man, that's a good story, but I'm not ready to say yes to Jesus. Do you know what? That's okay. That's just the gospel according to Ray. You're going to get a chance to hear a whole range of other gospels in your lifetime. All right, let me pray for you. Um, If you want to pray along, that's cool because it just um, means it's, yeah. Jesus, I come to you today. All right, that means, so I'm going to pray and then you guys can pray back, everyone, if if you want. Jesus, I come to you today. I invite you into my life. I thank you that you've invited me to be part of your family. Um, Teach me about you. I'm sorry for the bad stuff that I've done. But I believe that you've paid for those things on the cross. I choose to be a Christian. Amen. Awesome. If that's your first time saying that prayer, do you know what? That's so cool. Make sure you tell someone about it. If it's a rededication today then um, make sure you tell like a friend or, or whoever. I just want to leave with this. Oh, okay, I've gone way over time. I just want to leave with this. Your message is important. Your voice is important. Um, if you feel that you've been silent when you should have spoken up or you wanted to speak up or you could have spoken up, um, then I just want to encourage you. This is a challenge, but I want to encourage you that don't leave your story to yourself. Your story is powerful. Your story holds the key to someone else's salvation. Your story holds the key to someone else's healing. Your story holds the key to someone else's hope. So don't keep it to yourself. God bless you guys. And have fun working on the gospel according to you.